Welcome to the Rolling Stones Studs, a podcast about the baddest boys of the British invasion, hosted by your bad boys, it's Pete and PJ. Brought to you by the Beach Boys Boys. Perfect. Every week I almost jump in and then PJ's like, wait, we have, we paid someone thousands of dollars. We paid a professional to do our drops. Yeah. We have to use it because we're already so deep in the hole on this, on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, it, at this point, we're just doing it to flex, really. Yeah. Did we need sure. a professional to do it for thousands of dollars? No, because we ourselves are professionals. Yeah, that's Did we true. get it anyway? We're... Absolutely. <laughs> that's right. How you doing, PJ? You know, Pete, I'm good. I bought a saw today. We talked about that before the episode. Uh, circular saw. It was a circular saw, yeah. Uh, manual or electric? It's electric, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Much like Too nice. Cool Chris. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. I hate it. When I grew up, we only had the manual circular saw. And uh, just pushing that thing around the lawn to cut the grass was such a son of a bitch. Yeah. So terrible. Got such blisties on my thingies. In the wise words of Ringo, Ringo Starr. Star. Um, <laughs> That's right. Hey, speaking of studio patter, hell yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> You know, I saw somebody use a push mower at one point in my life. Like, just the no motor push mower at one point in my life. I don't think it cut the grass. I can't imagine how. I mean, okay, so I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head. I could Google a picture, but why would I? It kind of seems like the blades are perpendicular to the grass, right? Or, put another way, the blades are parallel to the blades of grass. Like, they're both sticking up. No, the I mean, because it, it's on a cylinder and the blades right. run this way. Oh, that's confusing. How is why is it in a cylinder then? I guess that's what always confused me. So that you get a cut with every push. Yeah, but a gas mower just has the one big blade in a big square, not in a cylinder. So that's kind of why I'm wondering, like, what's the cylinder for? Because I think since you're pushing it, you want as much cuts out of it as you can get however yeah i don't think it actually cuts i think it just kind of makes the grass right. look different it just kind of bends it over so that yeah. it looks cut but you know those yeah. weird dudes who love getting like a pattern on their lawn with like perfect lines it does that but it does not cut it i think oh my god pj give me a lawn with perfect lines and a bikini babe on it and you've made me the happiest man in the world yeah, you said bikini babe i got a boner right there maybe a cold maybe a cold brewski in my hand i thought you were gonna say cold 45 no. which is you know similar or a cold 45 uh, almost a brewski but a little uh a little more intense for you there yeah a little bigger yeah just a little bigger um cold 45 is disgusting this is maybe the third or fourth time malt liquor's come yeah. up on this podcast and given that well i think you'd said you drank uh Mickey's a couple of times, maybe. Oh, you know what? I've never had. I forget. I've I've had Mickey's. Okay, yeah. yeah. I've never had any malt liquor, so it's crazy that it keeps coming up. But I would say that I am fascinated by malt liquor, even though I've never drank it. It's yeah. such a weird. Like every time I would stop at the uh, 
the corner liquor store in college, I would stand there in front of it for a while being like, it's tonight the night. And it was never the night and it's still not the night. And then you would just get the 40 right next to it. That was a 40 of PBR. Right. I'm just regular beer because I'm not some weirdo who drinks malt liquor. Yeah. I got a 40 of Coors the other day, which I didn't know existed. And Wow. Coors Light? Coors Banquet. Coors Banquet. Come on, Pete. Coors Banquet. That's good. I mean, a 40 of Coors Light is... I think you can just get that. That's just seltzer water. Yeah. At that. Yeah. I do um, like a nice Coors. Yeah. You want to know the difference between Bud Light Lime and Lime LaCroix? Yeah. Bud Light Lime tastes more like lime. <laughs> that's a pretty good joke there, Pete. <laughs> just made that up off the top of my head, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's what people fucking come here for. That's right. Oh, these zany, snip snappity jokes. I know. They just can't get enough of cheap beer talk. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I think I just miss it because on our last show, uh, the Beach Boys Boys, which RIP the Beach Boys Boys, but you can listen to it in full if you scroll down to the bottom of this podcast feed. Yeah. Um, Don't start with episode one. The Beach Boys Boys. Just like most TV shows, skip episode one. It's the pilot. It's we're just yeah. trying to sell it, get it out the door, but it's really not representative of what the show becomes. No, but, we also recorded that in my basement room. Remember? That's true. But yeah. we did. I mean, we did like two or three episodes there total, right? We did one. Did there. we never? We never no, recorded never, in the basement. Never again. went back down there. The basement feels like the more natural choice, I have to say. But you think I so. give you credit? Your technological skills do not make it sound like we're in a large echoey room. Yeah. Uh Every other time. It sounded like a professional studio recording. Say. Well, thank you. Just just like most of the Beach Boys recordings. But anyhow, on that show, we had uh, a What Are You Chugging segment. And so we got to talk about cheap beer basically That's every single true. week. And we would always be and, drinking uh, cheap beer. Right. And then this show, we it's, it has, it's never come up. I don't think I've ever asked PJ what he's drinking. Not, not on record, you know. You know, yeah. before the show, Pete and I like to have a little, I guess, you know how um, those theater kids that nobody likes do the zip, zap, zop game? Yeah. We do that, zip, but zap, we do it more just, we shoot the shit, we talk about, oh God, which Rolling Stone this week would you like to just finger, you know? Yeah. We we try to get that stuff out, so then it's more natural when we come on the record, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean, I just, I have to say, <laughs> I have to say, I can't start recording until I've come. Yeah. So, we, you know, I just twist a nipple here and there, and PJ and I make sure we're exactly. on the same ready page to go. there. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Climax um, and record. That's that's our Sunday yeah. tradition. Sunday in the park with George, am I right? Wrong band. Ah, oh, god damn it. We haven't even done a podcast about the Beatles. I can't stop thinking. I know. Ridiculous. Oh, god, it's like they come up like every episode. Do you think we've genuinely Honestly, talked about I the think Beatles come up every, every episode. single episode of yeah. Well, it's I tough not so. to when like everything the Stones fucking do is because of the Beatles. Although yeah. I think we're out of that uh era now i think we can say i think we're at the end of yeah this week it's it's 
towards the, the end. The Rolling Stones finally don't care what the yeah. fuck the Silver Beatles are up to. Exactly. Um, and, well, and even with the Beach Boys, you know, they were like competitors. So it was like the Silver Beatles and the there. Beach Boys. You know? Yeah. PJ, it's almost like, you know when you watch a Woody? Yeah. And you really feel... A Toy Story film, you mean, yeah. Yes, the Toy Story films. And you really feel like Andy's house is just a, a character in the film. Like it's yeah. as important as a Buzz, a Woody, a Mr. Potato Head. It's like the fifth character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's really how I feel whenever you, PJ, whenever you talk about 60s rock, you have to, you just can't ignore those silver beetles primping no. and preening in the background just sticking their wings into everything that comes by. Yeah. They just, they, they touch it all. What can I say? Not what you can say, Pete. No, it's, in, it's impossible to not say anything. Wait, I forgot. <laughs> we got lost in negatives there. You know what we mean, though. You're in the Silver Beetle's house. I was going to say, related to um, the, the Beatles coming up whenever we talk about the Stones, I was intrigued on my Spotify. Um, after several months, my Spotify has realized that all I listen to on Spotify anymore is the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And uh, they've started recommending me albums similar to the Rolling Stones. And would you like to guess the top? I mean, I, there's several pages of albums here, but let's just go in the top eight albums that I can see. Okay. Would you like to guess artists? You don't even have to guess the specific albums they, they do. Okay, well... My okay, this is based on mine, which I think is similar because it, I've only been listening to the Rolling Stones. Um, there's a Kinks album on there. The Kinks are number one on yes. mine. Uh, I would say crazily. Is it Lola versus Power Man in the Money yes. Down Part One? Okay, yeah. Spotify really has a formula down apparently when they when they start realizing you love the Rolling Stones. Yeah, because um, number two. Wait, wait, wait. Let me guess. Um, there's got to be a Who album on there. Kids are In all right. In the top eight, there is a Who album. It's the Who sellout. Okay. Number two on mine is a best of of Faces. Oh, that makes sense. I know. Sense. I think, I mean, it, it appears that they're really going British here. Yeah. Um, which is somewhat interesting. Uh, and then I have... The Animals, Animalization. Makes sense. And then I guess not British anymore, but Steve Miller Band with Sailor. (laughs) That one's kind of out of left field. Yeah, I don't know that aside from The Who and maybe Faces, maybe The Animals. None of this really seems like albums or even artists necessarily you'd be recommending to like someone who's getting into the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Um, would you like to hear my top eight? Yes, please. So I will say this last week, I have listened to a lot of Tom Waits and the Rolling Stones, but the last, yeah, it's really confused about what you like. It truly is. Um, Mm -hmm. so the first album is the Rolling Stones by the Rolling Stones. As similar to the Rolling Stones or is just your recommended? Recommended for today. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and then, uh, let's see. Performance, original motion picture soundtrack which um what's this it is um a 
crime drama film featuring um, Mick Jagger. Nice. Came out in 1970. That makes sense, but also weird way to go, Spotify. Oh. Sounds so good. I bet Mick Jagger's a great actor. Oh, if he's anything like his son from that one show that was really bad, yeah, he's good. Um, yeah. The next one is The Kids Are All Right by The Who. Nice. Vintage Vinos by Keith Richards. Okay. Um, the aforementioned Kinks album. Right on. Blonde on Blonde by Bob Dylan. Uh, it just heard us talking about that and yeah. threw it in there. Yeah. Um, Get the Picture by The Pretty Things. Hmm. Have you ever heard of that? David Bowie cover band? Uh, it sounds like it. I've, it's yeah. a band I've never heard of. No. Um, Matthew and Son by Cat Stevens. Okay. Sure. Music from Big Pink by the band. Okay. And My Aim is True by Elvis Costello. Oh, that one's really out of left field. I was going to say, like, at the band one, I feel like they almost maybe got the crossover between the Rolling Stones and Tom Waits. Like, yeah. In terms of a band that person would be interested in, but. Right. And then they just threw Elvis Costello in there, which yeah. mm, I kind of yeah, get, but also. Makes zero no. sense. I do like Elvis um, Costello, but. Yeah, that's pretty weird. It's kind of like um, the, like, well, when did Dark Horse come out? 75 or something? The George Harrison album, for yeah. some reason, showed up on mine, similar to the Rolling Stones, and it's like, it's not, though, right? Like, I could I haven't heard that specific them... album, but... Oh, it's a good one. From what I know about George Harrison's solo stuff, it does not sound like the Rolling Stones. <laughs> It does not sound like the Rolling Stones. No. Also, um, potentially opposite worldviews between those, those two, yeah. as singers and songwriters. Well, that's fun. Yeah. I don't know how, but it is. It's for, it's fun for somebody. Yeah. Somebody out there is gonna go listen to all those albums, and then we'll have the, all the same no. Spotify recommends. My Spotify, I think, just gets really confused by me because I am one of the only people in the world, I think, who still downloads albums to iTunes. Um, I do that as well. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I usually like listen to something on Spotify for like two days, and then if I like it enough, then I'll just download it to my iTunes, and then you know it'll be part of the, the library. And so Spotify is just like, why does, like, I never listen to anything. And then, like, randomly, some albums I will listen to on Spotify for, like, three months before putting it on my iTunes. And then that's, like, in my Spotify most listened to, even though it's, I don't know, not something I listen to that much. Yeah. But, yeah. I will say, this is a fun fact about both Peter and I. Yeah. Um, I think we are the two people in the world with the most immaculate iTunes libraries oh my god probably i would everything i have put in there has a year yes you know um an album cover has it's one of my favorite things in the world to stay up late and organize my itunes library and uh in maybe 2016 i want to say great year aside from this perfect year but the reason i remember that year is that i got a new computer I saved my iTunes to a hard drive, an external hard drive, did what I thought was the correct method for saving your iTunes library, 
turned on the new computer, yeah. downloaded iTunes, added my library, and none of it transferred over correctly. Like all the music was yeah. there, but it was all just out of whack. But none of the, yeah. Yeah. And I was extremely pissed and then honestly had like an amazing six hours of the rest of the day just yeah. reorganizing that again. It felt so nice. Yeah. Yeah. When <laughs> That same thing happened to me when I got a new computer. Nice. I went from Windows to Mac. Oh, okay. And uh, it fucked everything up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had a very nice. Did you get? Did you get that big Mac? Hours. Yeah, I got the big one. Nice. Yeah. To all we pay special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onion, sesame seed bun. Yeah. Right on. That one. Yeah. My dad you know won a contest in the seventies. Oh, okay. Um, of who could say that the fastest? The fastest. The fastest. And uh, he got a free T-shirt because he won, and a Big Mac. I was gonna say it better come with a Big Mac if it's just the T-shirt, but you have to still buy yeah. the Big Mac. That's yeah. Um, was that like a call-in radio contest? How does that work? You know, I'm I don't know. I hope to God it was in person and it was like yeah. the same kind of crowd as Hands on a Hard Body. <laughs> yeah, they accidentally, yeah, got um. One of the ads really made it seem like it was going to be a wet t-shirt contest. Yeah. So it was a very, yeah, it was a very diverse crowd there. That Somebody day. heard t-shirt and special sauce in the same sentence. Right, exactly. And then, yeah. And You're then, weirdly, it was it was in the same parking lot as they were doing one of those competitions where everyone puts their hand on a car and then whoever stays there the longest gets the car. So yeah, that's hands a, on a hard body. It was a crazy day. Yeah. Well, I thought hands on a hard body because everyone put their hands on some shirtless guy. <laughs> And then whoever stayed there the longest got to have sex with him at the end. Oh, that's right. I thought that's right. what that was. Maybe I forgot not. that there were double meetings there. Yeah. Keith and the groupies oh. used to play hands on a hard body, and it was really just like you put your hands on me, and then I fall asleep in a heroin coma. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good that, time. I mean, we've all been there. Yeah, and then they just got bored and started smoking his weed or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask PJ, um, this is worth going back to. Why no? Why no, Little Mac? There is a Little Mac, actually. Is there? The quarter pound. Um, of the it is a character from the video game Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Oh well, yeah. I mean, the sandwich. Well, actually, I wasn't gonna confine it to that because I was also gonna say there's the Big Mac shirt, the Big Mac sandwich. There's no Little Mac. So you're right. There's a Little Mac. There is a Whopper, and there is a Whopper Junior. Right. There's no Little Mac though. It honestly seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah, because how cute would a Big Mac be if it was just like a slider, (laughs) slider size? You just get four little, four little Macs. Adorable. Adorable. Do you want to get to listener mail? All right, this one comes from JB. I believe JB is a. A uh, not a first time caller. I believe JB has emailed us before. Yes, about the Beach Boys boys. JB, I will say, holds the record for the longest email interaction we have ever had with a fan of our show. Uh, which is, I think, interesting. I responded twice and he responded twice. <laughs> and I forget whether he didn't respond to me or I didn't respond to him the last time. But at some point it got left... Uh, it got left, but I believe, what, yeah, we've what, had several what was the conversation? interactions. What was the conversation on the Beach Boys? I believe he emailed us after we came back from our break, 
that we took, our like three or four month break we took during the Beach Boys. And uh, I can pull oh, it yeah. up because it's in my like favorited emails. I vaguely remember that. Oh, he's the dickhead who made the joke about like, you're not doing the show during the summer when it's a Beach Boys podcast. <laughs> and then he turned out to be a very nice guy, yeah. but it was still, it was, started off on the wrong foot, man. Uh, yeah. Well, he, but then he once I, again has started off on the wrong foot. Well, yeah, I, yes, I agree. I uh, was nice enough to email him. I was gracious enough to email him back. And then it, it turned out fine. And he, at the end of the show, emailed us sharing our frustration at how bad the Beach Boys got. And then also agreeing with, well, I don't know if he agreed with me. I don't remember my opinion on this. But he was saying he thinks Smile Sessions is better than Pet Sounds, even in its unfinished state, which is a take I respect. Even if I'm not positive I agree with it, I think I agree with it. I fully don't agree with it. I at least like that someone's bold enough to say that, honestly. I, I like that part quite a bit. But what's his email this I, time, PJ? So this time, his email, like the dickhead he is. First off, let me say, did not address us like we like to be addressed. Dear sirs, <laughs> how hard is it to say dear sirs? Yeah. Not very hard. I just said it several times in a row. Okay. <sighs> Calming down. I don't actually that. know if that's canon, to be honest, though. I forget. We've said, I think we've given several different instructions on how to reach out to us at this point. At one point, there were very detailed instructions on what to put in the subject line. So I don't know. I thought it was dear sirs, but it, I'm not going to go back and listen. That's possible. But yeah, there's no way we're going to check that. So no. Um, speaking of checking, we'll get into that in this fucking email. Okay. Nice to hear you guys are back. Oh, Thank thanks. You. Appreciate yeah, it. That's actually a very nice sentiment. We do appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and then he said, Dancing in the Streets was not a Stone song. It was a Bowie slash Jagger duet recorded as part of the Live Aid charity thingy. Enjoying the show. H hope all is well. Yeah. And how many times do I have to say it, Pete? Don't fact check us. <laughs> Fact checking we us say is, what we say. <laughs> basically, at this point, I think every show at some point has me saying, and I missed this last week, but in actual, like, this is true. Also, and it's it's possible that I'm wrong about this, because like we just said, we're not going to go back and re-listen and see. But I believe you specifically said, because I said Dancing in the Streets was a Rolling Stones song, and you said, no, it was a David Bowie duet. And the video is crazy for it or whatever. And so, yeah, if I, I may have said it was a Stones and D D Bowie duet, but I believe same shit. my memory, if my memory serves, which my memory, it's like a steel fucking trap, PJ. I remember everything. Um, yeah. I believe it ended with an open question of was that ever on a Stones or Bowie album? We don't know. Yeah. So I we guess maybe JB is trying to be helpful there, but that's okay. You know, once again, JB, uh, first of all, we appreciate the email. I will respond to you, and I hope we get an email back because you provided us good Beach Boys thoughts last time that I believe, yes, you sent after the show was done, so we couldn't share them on air. But if you email us back That's now, true. we can share your thoughts on air about the Rolling Stones. I want to know people's thoughts on the Rolling Stones, man. We're getting too many emails yeah. with not enough information. Like, okay, they've been coming up true. a lot lately. But one, right? 
Exactly. They got some listener mail. First of all, they had two pieces to talk about in one episode, which is, I can't even dream of that. So step it up, guys. Yeah. Also, though, one of the podcast or one of the emails, (laughs) two emails in one week, double our listenership, double our listener mail. Yeah. Um, from 10 to 20 people and from one to two emails. Yeah. Um, but one of their emails was some kid writing like six paragraphs about how he discovered the Beach Boys and how amazing he found like each album as he discovered it and shit. And like, it was relevant to like what they were talking about currently. It was thoughtful. It like reflected on some stuff that the people had talked, you know, it's just, I do have to say JB's Beach Boys email that came again after the show was done recording was good but we need that kind of shit like every week because here's the deal yeah we have nothing else to you talk know, about guys we get these low rent emails where people you know they're just like oh i'm glad you guys are back what right. the fuck ever yeah. tell us something about the stones yeah. which to be fair jb did but he was correcting us yeah tell us something we don't know we're glad we're back too all right, well, thanks for emailing in, JB. Appreciate it. I'm going to respond to him yeah, right thank now. You. Also, now it's just a thing that we're mean to the emailers, but I don't want that to stop people from emailing in because we do appreciate them. It's just the only way I know how to be funny. And if you don't believe me, go check out the Beach Boys Christmas episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, okay, you heard you the Bud Light work. LaCroix joke. Like, that's what happens if I'm not mean funny. So pick your poison, I guess, and email us if you really want the lame dad joke funny. But I think the mean thing is funnier, personally. I agree. It's just me. Um, And just to prove it right, I'm like the most polite emailer in the world, just so you know. Yeah. No, I know. I've seen your emails back to people. I've been surprised. Oh, right, because I email from Beach Boys Boys. Well, Pete, you want to take a little break? Sure, PJ. All right. And we're back with the Rolling Stones studs. You know, this week we're more like the Rolling Stones uh, stupids because we've had a lot of technical issues. That's true. It's very frustrating. Um, But you know what, PJ? The Rolling Stones did it without the internet, so why can't we? God, you make such a good point, Pete. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. The most famous of those pre-internet bands that everyone talks about, the Rolling Stones. You know, this actually, I wanted to bring something up um, because as we were having uh, technical issues, I started to watch a video of Mike Campbell of the band Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers talk about his uh, Rickenbacker 12-string that he got um, and that Tom Petty was uh, holding on the cover of Damn the Torpedoes. And he was like, yeah, I... uh, when I got it, you know, these were the days before eBay, which just makes me think, well, first off, fucking obviously, it was like 1972. But then, right. like, also, every old man seems to have to shoehorn in that it was the days before, like, oh, this was before Amazon. It's like, no, I know. Right. 
I remember Amazon becoming a thing. Like, mm-hmm. I yes, I remember a time before Amazon, dude. Every every time someone over fifty talks to someone under thirty, they're like, "Yeah, you know, well, everyone didn't have cell phones, so you just had to like make plans before you showed up somewhere." And you're like, "Yeah, yeah mm-hmm." No, I remember. Yeah, we know. Also, even if you didn't like, we got it things were different yeah (laughs) like obviously i don't think kids growing up now like while obviously uh in their day-to-day lives they probably don't consider that stuff it's like people watch movies from before 1999 right people know that there was a world outside of the one we currently live in yeah oh well although weren't times just better back then pj god oh my god before you had of... a little computer in your pocket that you were on mm-hmm. all the time. That's right. It's really, you know, once rotary telephones went away, that's really when the world started going downhill, PJ. Yeah, really. Yep. You could no longer tell. Actually, never mind. I guess you could on later phones with the uh, tones. You could tell what numbers people were doing just by hearing it. Damn it. Damn it. All right. I guess the world really went downhill once phones with the little beeps went away. You know, I think it went uh, downhill after it was that one phone that you talk into and listen to from another thing, and you just pick it up and go, hello, operator, I need number seven down the road. And then you just have to wait on a party line. Exactly. Or not wait on the party line. You have to talk on the party line. Yeah. Yeah. And what a party it was. Yeah. I really think the world went downhill after 9-11, man. (laughs) fucking terrorists ruin everything god they do terrorists do ruin everything i will say i know we just made fun of people for doing this but it is pretty crazy to think about airports before 9-11 yeah (laughs) and just how you literally could walk in and just walk around the entire thing without anybody asking any questions and you could apparently walk from the parking lot to the plane if you were running late, I've heard. Oh, like on the outside of the building? Yes. That's pretty nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's cool. They don't do that now because they started using fences, PJ. Yeah. Which yeah. is my favorite Denzel Washington movie. You know what? That's true. Uh, it's so good. It's probably up there in the top two movies based on plays that are basically just a filmed version of that play. Yeah. It's that. That really makes you wonder, why didn't they just film that play? Yeah. It's that and A Streetcar Named Desire. Those are the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in a distant third, August Osage County. Yeah, I've heard of that. Only because Meryl's in it, man. Uh, Gotta live Miss Streep. Mm -hmm. Married to... Dancing in the Streep, am I right? (laughs) You are right. You know... It's crazy that she was married to John Cazale, who uh, yeah, died young, but is like in every really good movie in the 70s. You got um, Deer Hunter. You got The Godfather, yeah. parts one and two. You got Dog Day yeah. Afternoon. You got others that he's probably in. Yeah. You know what uh, he, John Cazale said about Meryl Streep? What's that?
She's a streep in the streets and a streep in the sheets. <laughs> That's right. I remember that famous quote from You know that you know that Meryl. <laughs> should we Should we do a new take where I don't laugh at my joke for a while before I say it. Nope. I feel like that's the third time this show I've done that. So. And that's fine. That's really that's what you're here for, man. If yeah. You the Rolling Stone studs. You know, PJ, I'm realizing there's literally no way to know how long we've been recording because we've had so many technical <laughs> difficulties, and I've stopped and restarted my recording uh, so many times. It yeah. says 56 minutes, but it might only be like 20 minutes of actual show. I have no idea. Yeah. You know what we can do. Is just go go right into the next uh, just portion. Just not worry about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's start talking about the Rolling Stones then, PJ. Perfect, Pete. So, the Rolling Stones in 1968. Oh, okay. Were... Wait, wait, wait. So we are talking about 1968 today. Um, we are. The movie I referenced earlier. I read a whole Wikipedia article about it while we were while I was waiting for your ass to get your internet all working. Um, yeah. It's a very interesting movie. Article. It was filmed in 1968 and released in 1970. So are you going to talk <laughs> about how Mick Jagger went off to film a movie where he plays two characters? No. Oh, okay. It It's... No. Okay. <laughs> it's probably interesting, but also we're in an era where everybody was in a fucking movie. Every that's, rock star, I mean. So do um, I care? I don't know. Would you like to hear, just since since we're gonna get into all their music stuff, let's Please. let's talk about uh, their other side projects. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Performance is a 1970 British crime drama film directed by Donald Camel and Nicholas Roeg, written by Camel and f- uh, whatever. Um, the film stars James Fox as a violent and an ambitious London gangster who, after killing an old friend, goes into hiding at the home of a reclusive rock star, Mick Jagger. Um, and is, he plays himself? He does not play himself. He plays oh, okay. a character that is pretty much himself, though. Uh, his name is Turner. No nice. first name or last name, yeah. just, just Turner. But yeah. he plays a reclusive rock star. Probably drinks too much, too. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. Well, that sounds like a really bitchin' movie. Yeah. If only the Rolling Stones had done a soundtrack for it, we would talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's also a really crazy uh, picture where it's like a clean-cut uh, Mick Jagger. His hair's not super long. It's like slicked back. And he looks like a psycho. Yeah, I bet. Wearing a lot of makeup in this movie. What's that? Said he's wearing a lot of makeup in this movie. It looks like it. What is this? The Rocky Horror Picture Show? <laughs> it, <laughs> they were. Yeah. Oh wow, he looks like a completely different person with the right. hair slicked back there. That's I nuts. Did not realize it was him. He looks like an extra from A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> he totally does. In the suit with the slicked hair and the weird sideburns. Yeah. Mick needed that to rebound. The rest of the Stones needed to rebound hard from there 1967 yeah um which as we talked about last week was a shit year by all accounts um with a shit album 
shit year with two piece of shit albums. Um, and so they immediately jump back into the studio in early 68 to wipe the slate clean and get back to being the old, the old Rolling Stones everyone knows and loves and come out with Jumpin' Jack Flash in May as a, a uh, what would you call it, return to form single. Yeah. Okay. You want me to play that? Sure, let's hear a little bit of Jumpin' Jack Flash. If you haven't heard this song before, you have. Yeah. Just know that you have. I think there's literally no way no one's heard this song before. Um, this riff, wait, pause it real quick. Um, sorry, you can keep going. I just had to, I, I can't hum a different song while I'm listening to the song. The Jumpin' Jack Flash riff is just satisfaction sped up. Bum, bum, ba-da-dum. <laughs> yeah. Like it's basically just the exact same like dun dun da 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 instead of going back down though it just goes up again. Yeah. So yeah. That being said, it's an amazing song. It's a great song, it's a great riff. Um I uh I only actually really realized that because it was it came up somewhere where I was reading about it that I think Bill maybe played the riff on a piano or something and Keith's like that's just satisfaction you know and he's like yeah but I think it could be a different thing and then you know they get to it um so Jumpin' Jack Flash was like very purposefully trying to you know get them away from the psychedelia that they had been been doing um I don't honestly know if we talked about it much on last week's episode, but Satanic Majesty's Request at the time got pretty bad reviews. Um, and, like, really, it seems like when it was released is when it got the reputation for just them trying to copy the Beatles. Right. Um, and kind of trying to jump on a train that either people were over or people just didn't think fit the Stones. Um, so, yeah, they're trying to get get back from their bummer trip back to the funk or the the blues and funk and rock and everything right um apparently jumpin jack is the name came from the gardener at redlands estate keith's house was named jumpin jack for some reason and uh just in a an amazing rock and roll legend. Mick was hanging out at the house one day and went, Oi, who's that? And Keith went, Oh, it's Jumpin' Jack the Gardener. And Mick was like, That sounds like a song. And then it's a song. How do you get a name like Jumpin' Jack? That, it never comes up. And that is what we should be curious about. But Yeah, that is the whatever. thing I'm the mo- like, that's cool that it's named after somebody who knows. How does that man have that nickname? 
I guess they're, I think they're British. They're all like. I think the thing is like he bought the estate and the guy came with the house. You know, it's one of those estates yeah. where it's like he's been here since like a five-year-old child. His dad was the gardener before him. Yeah. Um. So he just comes with it. Like you can fire him if you want, but you don't. You just let him run the place while you're yeah. gone. He doesn't ask for any pay. He just yeah. respects yeah, the his land. His pay is to live in the little shack. Yeah. And as long as you let him hunt rabbits on the grounds, <laughs> he's happy. <laughs> um. So Jumpin' Jack Flash uh, is a single only. Doesn't show up on an album at all. Which is um, surprising. It is. I really thought it was on an album for some reason or another. Maybe I got it confused with Street Fighting Man because they sound the exact same. But Also a good um, song. It went to number one in the UK and number three in the US. And like I said, super overplayed. It's like, I feel like it's maybe the most played Stone song ever. No, that is. It feels like it. Satisfaction is. Oh, yeah, I guess. Um, I guess, yeah. See, it feels like it's up there, though. In terms of like movie drop songs, it feels like it has to be up there. I feel like it's a different version in most movies. I feel like it's a live version in uh maybe movies yeah because that one is like a lot cleaner than the one i'm used to and that they play on the radio all the time i think it's sure. there's a live version that's like way more famous yeah yeah i it, was excited to hear it on an album just to yeah. hear if it kind of had a different context among other songs because i've heard it so much it's just background noise at this point um it, it is played but, oh well i think it is it comes in second for um songs played during a movie set in vietnam it's fortunate son yes, and then this one for sure yeah uh, every single nom movie <laughs> um but i don't know i mean it's a classic it's yeah for some reason it's just one of those songs that i literally don't think i can have an opinion on because it's i've heard it so many times so i, I think don't. i think it's a really good song well, yeah yeah sure but it's also like crossed over into the point where you're like, it's not even a song anymore. Like, I guess, like hearing it in the context of an album, I don't even know if I could hear it differently. Okay. Just, it's so ground into my brain, but. That's fair. Whatever. Um, so that came out. It did that happened. Out. Cool. Um. I wanted to double check. I feel like there were a couple like funky. Oh no, never mind. Just organ. No weird instruments credited on this one. Oh, thank God. Just a Hammond organ. Oh, I love a Hammond organ. Yeah, it's good. So Brian continues to be a little naughty boy. Oh, of course um, he does. Of course he yeah. freaking does. He's having intense mood swings through the first half of 1968, or really through all of 1968, um, and starts kind of losing touch with the rest of the band even more than he was. Um, at some point, so I somehow missed that in 67, he also got arrested um, for drug possession at a certain point and just had to pay a fine, I think. Yeah, separately, um, I imagine. Yeah, it was after Mick and Keith's thing was done, I believe. So he gets arrested again in 1968 for possession. Um, gets another fine, because but he was still on probation, so he has trouble getting a visa to join them on their 68 U.S. tour. Ah. 
so that kind of gets awkward and weird and he starts just like not being there that often uh appearing sporadically at rehearsals not being able to show up for all the shows that kind of thing um charlie had an interesting quote i think from much later about this era of brian where he's like he wasn't really even saying anything good or bad about Brian's behavior, but he was just like, when you go to the studio, you work with whoever's there. So if he's not there, you figure out how to do it without him. And eventually you don't need him because you know how to do this as a four piece, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so that kind I of mean, scene, like that just keeps happening through he's not this wrong. year 1969. Yeah. It's like, it's like the beach boys take on Danny not being there. It's like, I'm sure we can find a drummer who's way better right i mean except I would none say of them are to related. some degree brian's different because brian was definitely much more talented than denny like yeah for all oh, of denny's for sure. yeah um or for all of brian's faults like he's he's talented yeah he's a very talented multi-instrumentalist but when he's just that unreliable yeah you know, well that's kind of what i was talking about the unreliability of both of them right yeah yeah that makes sense so when he does show up okay here's a couple stories so their producer for this album for beggar's banquet said uh this is a quote that i'm going to kind of paraphrase so when brian does show up uh let's say he would brought a sitar that day that he wanted to play uh so he'd show up when the stones were there but he might have missed the previous four sessions uh, that day, the Stones were doing a blues song. He'd walk in with a sitar, which was totally irrelevant, irrelevant to what we were doing and want to play it. So I would isolate him, put him in a booth, and not record him. <laughs> and the others, Mick and Keith particularly, would just say to me, tell him to piss off and get the hell out of here. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, another little story is that other times he would show up and play and they would just not turn on his amp or not record like his amp yeah so that they were only getting keith's guitar um just lots of little asides like that about how unhelpful he was despite all that he does show up playing and singing on i think all but two tracks on this record so he does contribute um but not nearly in the way that he did on the last three records where he was like playing on every single song and playing multiple instruments on a bunch of them. So, and kind of shaping the artistic direction at all. Um, one more thing with Brian real quick. Let me just read this little story. It's fantastic. So this photographer shows up to his house and, um, is going to photograph Brian. He he's 26, but looks 48. I didn't see it at the time, maybe because I was focusing on the job. He went upstairs, put on an American flag shirt, and came down waving a gun. <laughs> all, all I could think was, how cool. <laughs> I didn't see him. I didn't even like see the guy in front of me. He still had his beautiful hair. Uh, that's a photographer named Ethan Russell. And then the photo, I'm going to show PJ. I guess you could probably Google Ethan Russell, Brian Jones, and find it. But Holy Brian shit. really does... He looks, he like, looks like those like photos of meth addicts you see where it's like yeah. the before and afters where he he honestly does look like yeah he's 45 years old. Yeah, he does and not like look like a rough 26. 45. <laughs> he looks like he's in his early 50s. 
It's pretty bad. Yeah. But wearing his American flag shirt, it's cute. So, yeah. So Brian's not doing well. Yeah. Um, taking a lot of downers apparently was his drug of choice at the time. So, the Stones going into Jumpin' Jack Flash and into the album kind of were on a mission, like I said, to reform their image. Um, Keith said later, um, after 67, with all the arrests, the band problems, uh, which I assume they mean the love triangle. Right. And, you know, all the psychedelic stuff um, that the band was feeling angry and wanting to return to, like, more grounded music. So he said Baker's Banquet, he remembers as just being, like, an angry album them being upset the whole time oh i have a quote about it <laughs> i was fucking pissed with being busted so it was right we'll go and strip this thing down there's a lot of anger in the music from that period hmm. um anger is a strong term i feel like for this album but okay it's interesting and a couple of the quotes that i found from reviews of the period also mention it being like a kind of like um yeah angry album and i do agree that i don't quite hear that but then it's also like some of the most angry they sound maybe are the two songs on it that have been played so much it's hard to kind of hear them okay again yeah and like stuff like jumping jack flash and street fighting man were very like hard rock for 1968 and so maybe yeah it's just that's kind of what they mean but yeah. at the time and that being kind of the first thing like that the stones had released um probably hit differently it's a fair point um one kind of weird aside to promote this album the stones did a live concert album or a live concert film i mean mm-hmm um, called the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus. Right. Very 1968. I'm very familiar with that. Oh, okay. Nice. With yeah. The Who, John Lennon, and Yoko, uh, yeah. the band Taj Mahal, which I always forget about. Not a band. Um, What? It's a man. Ta- it's just one dude? Taj Mahal is just a dude, yeah. Which what? is hilarious. They were doing cause that shit back then? It's hilarious because we talked about this like four episodes ago. Right, right. I've just heard of Taj Mahal and assumed they were a band. Oh, no, it's just uh, one blues musician fella. That's ironic because then Jethro Tull was on it, and Jethro Tull's not even a guy. It's a band. <sighs> Isn't it ironic? A little, that's honestly a insane that that ironic. was a thing back in. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Marianne Faithful played it too. Uh, the film was shot and like edited and everything, but it never came out because Mick was mad that every other band was better than the Stones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that a direct Which quote? Is, yes, yeah, that's, that's very funny. literally the reason it didn't get released. Huh. So, um, I, it was eventually released in like the t- early two thousands, I think. So okay, that's available somewhere. Um, the album art for Beggar's Banquet, following if, a theme for the Stones, if you was can rejected call by it their that. company. Oh, okay. Well, because originally they wanted, they had this photo of a public bathroom with a bunch of graffiti, um, and it was vetoed by the record company because they couldn't put toilet cover or toilets on album covers. Because they're nasty. Yeah, just legally, it was a 
a terrible place for them to wade into trying to put a toilet on the album cover. There were so many laws preventing it. So what do you think this is? Leave it to Beaver. Yeah. So they had to go with, uh, I assume a plan B, which they didn't, I, I assume they just didn't design it at all. They just gave up and left it to the record company, which ended up being a plain white thing with, uh, the Rolling Stones Baker's Banquet in like really elaborate cursive and then a little RSVP in the corner. Yeah. Which I kind of like that I like album it. cover actually, to be honest. Yeah. I think it's Have you seen with a... how I like the contrast between the album cover and then if I remember correctly, I, I have this album on vinyl, not with me at the moment, but I feel like the you, gatefold is them at like a fancy you banquet. Have a Stones album on vinyl? That's the only one, yeah. Okay. Um, I believe the gatefold photo or like, yeah, photo is them like in a fancy banquet, but the juxtaposition of like the very, um, stripped down music with like this fancy kind of idea for the album Yeah, is, yeah, I like, I it. like it. Um, have you I seen, I don't like the photo of the original. I was just going to say, have you seen it? Um, I have, that's, I think basically all their reissues they've ever done for beggar's yeah, banquet use that original that. photo because they're obsessed with it and i think it's a bad album cover i don't think it's bad i just uh think that there's a lot of stuff on it um do you just not like it because there's a piece of graffiti that says peter is an f slur <laughs> no i didn't know that right in the center right above the eye in the rolling stones well i guess i'm glad now that i don't that it wasn't the cover yeah. Mostly, I mean, this is nonsense because it would have come out in 1968, so it would have been ahead of its time. But looking at it now, it just feels like a very generic, like, early 80s punk album cover. It does look like a punk rock album cover, um, for sure. Which, obviously, they would have been, you know, they were ahead of their time trying to get it as their album cover because no one except the Mamas and the Papas was trying that shit. Yeah. But didn't work out. I don't think it's a bad album cover. I do like the one that they went with better, though. I agree. So, let's see. Uh, this was also the first album. Uh, I quoted him earlier talking about Brian, but they have a new producer named Jimmy Miller after the after Lube disappeared. Ah, the most generic um, name I've ever heard in my life. The most generic name. He's apparently very important. He produces every album until 1973 or something that they do so okay um he's apparently very uh responsible for their golden era as people call it so um let's see anything else here oh uh well maybe we'll get into that after well we get into it now um lyrically this album is pretty different for them oh it yeah it has it's really their first and i think only kind of foray into writing political music um and it's unclear whether it was purposeful or not there's a lot of like reviewers talking about how the songs are political or people talking about how they affected them because they interpreted the lyrics in a certain way, but I couldn't right. find much from the band themselves saying that they meant anything this way. 
but it's not um, as cut and dry jump- as student demonstration time. Right, exactly. Um, so, like, Sympathy for the Devil was taken very politically. Um, Street Fighting Man, too, because especially 1968 had a lot of... Street Fighting uh, Men. Street Fighting Men, a lot of, um, like, demonstrations and riots and stuff across Europe. Um, so this album came out at the end of 1968. So that Street Fighting Man, Jumpin' Jack Flash, Sympathy for the Devil, and then even like Salt of the Earth and Jigsaw Puzzle kind of have some um, political themes. Some, yeah, exactly. Some themes that resonate with the like blue collar anti capitalist kind of sentiment, especially in Europe that was going on at the time. And apparently, um, they had a movie, like a kind of a music video, but that's not how it was positioned back then about sympathy for the devil that John Luke Goddard shot that from Star also, Trek. Yes. <laughs> that aside from him being like a famous, uh, kind of left-wing person, also the movie like intercut sympathy for the devil with some political scenes and stuff. So, Okay. That gave it extra meaning that, again, I don't know that they totally meant, but the yeah. album... I believe I've seen it. ...was definitely taken that way. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. So, yeah, it came out in December 68. It went to number three in the UK and number five in the US. Uh, I believe their lowest charting album so far in the US. At least their lowest charting, like, real album. Um. I mean, number five is still very good. Yeah, not bad. Even though they're going to the stripped down sound, there's actually still quite a few kind of weird instruments on this. Uh, especially Sympathy for the Devil and Street Fighting Man both have are pretty layered. Yeah. Um and then there's I don't know, there's like I think there's Mellotron on three or four songs. There's Brian still fucking around with weird like east asian instruments um he can go fuck himself charlie's playing a lot of claves and bongos and stuff along those lines so um not totally stripped down completely but definitely more so than right between the buttons and their satanic majesty's request uh Two more notes before the track by track. Okay. Keith once again shows up to play some bass. I don't know why, but this is like the fifth album in a row. He thinks he's better than Bill. So Sympathy for the Devil, Street Fighting Man, and Stray Cat Blues, when we get to it, are all Keith bass lines. Hmm. And then Ian Stewart played piano on Jumpin' Jack Flash, but for some reason, Nicky Hopkins, who was playing harpsichord on the last album... Uh, joins these sessions as the only credited piano player um, not in the band. So Interesting. he, for some reason, is taking over the some of the studio stuff. So um, Ian's out. I think, yeah, I think Ian's still touring with them. But for some reason, this Nick Hopkins fella is taking over the studio stuff, at least for the moment. You so. would think after Lug left, they would like be fine having Ian in the band. Because it was all like Luke's thing, like, better as a five-piece. Right. You got to think at this point, it's just a money thing. Yeah. Right? I mean. Like, and yeah. I mean, they're in a contract with 
DECA and stuff, so maybe it would be harder than we'd think to add a new member, but... It's like how Billy Preston was never a Beatle, but he was. <laughs> the eighth Beatle, Billy yeah. Preston. Um, yeah, exactly, you get it. So, you want to get into the track-by-track, track, PJ? Let's get into the track-by-track, track, Pete. I also have a little something to play Oh, please. in a little bit, so oh, okay. just be wary okay. of that. Hey, everybody. This is PJ uh, while I'm editing. In this next uh, segment, the patented track-by-track, track, you can barely hear a word I'm saying. And Peter will say that... Uh, many times throughout the track by track um that he can not hear me over the music um if it was something i could fix i would have fixed it but alas i cannot anyway sorry about that back to the cast all right first song on beggar's banquet sympathy for the devil also a song that seems like it comes up in every vietnam movie truly yeah That's Mick on those maracas there, I think. And I believe Bill's playing like some other version of maracas. So. This song is very interesting. I mostly want to know who, what's his name? I've never figured this out, but what is this guy's name? He keeps asking us, but I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just like, it's just Mick talking to us, I guess, but like, it's confusing because Mick wasn't alive with Jesus. It's so weird. Yeah. I can barely hear you right now when the song is playing for some reason. Yeah. Um, oh, that's much better. Sorry, I should have said earlier, I just am still in Beach Boys voice mode where I'm not supposed to talk during the music if you want to edit it out. Um, it's really one of the best written songs. Yeah, it's really good. It's... It's a weird one um, because, like, when I listen to the best of, I always think of this kind of as, like, just under my thumb, but different. But, they're, I mean, they're very different songs. I feel like they kind of have a similar vibe to them a little bit. I've, I've never thought of them as the same. This has always really been, like, more of an artsy song. Yeah. It's, like, under my thumb. I don't know. It just seems. I've always equated this song to um, that one Led Zeppelin song. Stairway to Heaven. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't. Um, It's 
gonna drive me crazy. And I can't just look up like Led Zeppelin lady. Um, while you try and think of that, this song mostly just feels crazy because in this time in the Stones' history, it's so different than anything they've done. Like I was saying, like I kind of feel like it's got a little bit of a similar vibe to Under My Thumb, but in reality, this is like just totally new territory, songwriting territory for them, I would say. Um, and it's a very interesting jump to start off their like quote unquote back to basics album that they're like still having a lush produced kind of eastern or not eastern necessarily but like world influence song uh, that like you said it's kind of artsy yeah. and like not exactly just a back to the blues song but it's definitely right. great. Um, so this song reminds me of the song uh, Battle of Evermore. <laughs> okay. Sure. It came out three years after this. I have no right. idea why. That's all right. Um. Pretty much everyone and their girlfriends are singing the oo-oo's. By the way, I'm yes, pretty sure so the entire band and Anita and Marianne are all credited with the oo's. Yes. So in 2018, um, like a, a behind the music or like a documentary of the recording of uh, Beggar's Banquet. Actually, I think specifically Simply for the Devil mm-hmm. came out, and I just wanted to play a clip from it where they're recording the oo-oo's. Nice. Go for it. Yeah. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. So this is, yep, uh, all five members, and then two women, you with the nature of my game. And, uh, the yeah, Anita. this incredibly famous song yeah um marianne faithful just whispers something to keith richards <laughs> like she does not understand how <laughs> recording works um jimmy miller the producer is credited with singing backing vocals okay. on sympathy for the devil so. so then it's jimmy miller he does he's dressed like a producer yeah that makes sense yeah so that makes sense um that's pretty funny Come on, Marianne. She's been around the business. She's recorded her own songs. Right. You, you'd think so. Uh, also, she's like smoking a cigarette. And she, I don't know. Nice. She just seems to not really give a shit about this. Nice. Anyway, I just thought that'd be a little interesting thing to play. Yeah. All right. Second song No Expectations. Uh, this song is Brian on the slide guitar, and then Charlie's playing claws, but I don't really hear them, so I believe it. But... This is a beautiful song. 
I really, really like this song. Yeah. Yeah. I have no I fucking know. clue why they put it as number two. No, put it as the first song. Yeah, the Stones, I mean, once again, Take insist on putting slow songs, like, right up top in their albums, and I have no idea why. It just immediately makes me feel like I'm going to fall asleep listening to this album. I've got no yeah. Opening to the devil. Fantastic choice. Again. Yeah. And then, like, this should be number two. Even though it is maybe my favorite song on the Yeah. I like it quite a bit. It's one of those where it's so slow that when I first listened to this album, I was I just immediately wrote it off. And then once I actually like gave it like listened listened, I did like it quite a bit, but it's just it's a very slow track, especially for the beginning of the album for me to get that you know, into. And I think that's that's a fair criticism, but I yeah. like first time I heard it I was like Yeah. But I like a lot of the slower stuff I yeah, I usually do. This one just didn't grab me as much for some reason. But you like it now? Yeah. I do. Oh I hear the claves a little bit in the back. Yeah. Little wood clicking. Um, yeah, it's a really great song. It is. And uh, actually, you know what? We'll get that um, Dear Doctor. Oh, help me, please, Doctor. PJ, if you could turn the music down a little bit. There's a pain. And then, yeah, I could probably hear it. Sorry. Um, this song. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't think it's not my favorite song. Yeah. But, um, what I think I like about it is something you touched on earlier, which is uh, that they're like kind of going back to their original stuff, but doing it way better. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like um, High and Dry off Aftermath to me, like that country blues yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of like a swamp tune, right? Which I true, I love every like country song that the Stones have written. So yeah. Um, Brian is playing the harmonica on this one, and then Bill's credited with playing uh, upright bass. Again, I don't really hear it, but yeah, I don't. Nothing about this song does it for me. I have to say. Crazily, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. Crazily, Brian's harmonica might be the best part of it to me. See, I like it. However, I don't think they should have gone. Sympathy for the Devil, incredibly slow song. <laughs> Another pretty slow song. Yeah, this whole first half of the album is uh, not great, I would say. It, it, it's weird for an album, but I thus far have liked every song. I couldn't hear you at all. I'm sorry. Um, next song, Parachute Football. It's like half the time the music is drowning you out, and half the time it's not. It's 
Um, Mick and Brian are both credited with harmonica on this. Um, so truly back to back to their old yes. bullshit. I really don't like this. I don't think that'll surprise anybody. Um, you know, I thought this song wasn't very good. I do love the guitar tone. Yes, the electric guitar is awesome, but that's pretty much the only thing that makes it listenable. The harmonica, I, I do like that. But I think, like, overall, not a good song. No. Harmonica is weird because it sounds like they pulled it from a different, except for right here, but uh, it sounds like they pulled it from a different album and then just popped it on the side. Yeah. Hmm. Alright. Jigsaw puzzle. Uh, so this one's really, this is like a six minute song, as long as Sympathy for the Devil. I really liked this one quite a bit. Yeah, this is a good song. I had not heard it before, I don't think. I, yeah, the, this is the only full Rolling Stones album I'd ever heard before we started the show, and I did not remember a single song aside from Sympathy for the Devil and Street Fighting Man, so... Uh, it felt like it was the first time I was hearing it and again it's kind of like a little slow and just vague feeling to me like I didn't get into it immediately but once I kind of caught it I feel like I like it quite a bit um Keith's playing slide on it and then Bill's bass part I really like on it it's he's doing some nice work Um, yeah, it's a fun song. They're doing... I, the lyrics make me feel like they're trying to be Bob Dylan, which the Rolling Stones do sometimes, where it just feels like they're pulling yeah. like images that are supposed to be meaningful, but for some reason just kind of come off like, I don't know, meaningless when they like, sing them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... It, I think if anybody else sang Bob Dylan songs, they would look like a jackass. It's like yeah. Bob Dylan had a whole thing, you know. Right. Yeah, but I do like the chorus that, at the end of the day, he's just trying to finish his jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. I I think this is a really good song, and I'm surprised it's not a bigger hit than it is. Like, yeah. I don't think this should be a deep cut Stone song, and it is. Right. Um. Also in the background, I think here, we're hearing some Mellotron by Brian. Okay. Which is, it's kind of a weird use of Mellotron. Like, it's not doing anything, like it's not doing sounds you can't make with an instrument. It's just a little odd. I don't know. But I get you. I always like a Mellotron flourish, so I'll take it. Mellotrons are cool. Um, yeah. I feel like they were... They're very rarely used in music that's not, like, psychedelic. That's true, which is kind of why I like, like, when it just shows up and stuff like that. It's kind of, it's kind of fun. Yeah. All right. Street Fighting Man. 
Um, this one as well is Sympathy for the Devil. I like never noticed until now, but it's like, it's actually like a very layered song with like a whole bunch of weird instruments in the background and everything and like it's interesting it's really well produced it's a really well produced song it is yeah which it is like, something i usually say about songs i don't like i'm like well it's well produced yeah least. this is a great song and it's really well produced it rides a perfect line between sounding like a garage rock song and then also being like really layered and um I don't know. Well done. It's it's nice. Yeah. It's a really good song. The um I think the guitar the opening guitar part, I'm actually unclear on this whether it was taken from the tape. I think the opening guitar part was taken from the tape that like Keith traveled with, his little tape deck. Oh yeah. Cuz he huh. talked about That's cool. um he would travel with that in an acoustic guitar, and he said it was such a shitty tape deck that when he played acoustic guitar on it, it would play back sounding like a distorted guitar. Which is kind of what the intro sounds like, right? So, yeah. Huh. I think it is. All I The thing that I'm going off of is it says the basic track was recorded on the cassette deck. Um, and then Charlie played... Oh yeah, I think so. And Charlie played on a antique practice drum kit. So, and then they added stuff over it, but yeah. Cool. Maybe the only, not the only, but the only example of this I've ever heard of, of an acoustic guitar just recorded shittily to sound like it's distorted guitar. Like, of that being a purposeful choice when they recorded the song, that's pretty nuts. But it works. It works well. It does. I don't think until, you know, now I ever... It would have ever occurred to me that that was an acoustic guitar. Yeah, I don't think it's pretty nuts. Um, this song's very good, but I feel like with the same with Jumpin' Jack Flash, I like don't. I don't know. It's weird because when we talked about Paint It Black, I like could hear it differently, and it kind of blew my mind again. But then for some reason, these ones in Sympathy for the Devil, I'm just like, eh. They're fine. I've heard them. And it's not, like, doing it for me in a new way. See, for me, Street Fight Man isn't as overplayed as Sympathy for the Devil, but I still think they're both incredible songs. They are objectively good. It's just... I still don't think I need to hear them anymore in my life. Whereas I would listen to Paint It Black again, I guess. I think they work on the album. Um, Prodigal Son. Another uh, Brian Harmonica lead. And uh, I'm good. Huh. I liked it. I mean, it's more acoustic 8 bar blues. I think I really like so early on when they would record acoustic guitars, it sounded mostly like fucking garbage. Yeah. This one is so crisp and like yeah. I really like this song a lot. Uh, yeah. It's. I understand why you don't like it. You're not like into that whole like, yeah. thing, but I am, and I think it's a good song. Yeah. 
Straight Cat Blues. Is it weird that the only song with blues in the title is not really bluesy at all, PJ? I, I did notice that, and I hope they did it. I'm sure they did it on purpose, because when I was like looking through this album, I'm like, oh great, I can skip Stray Cat Blues. But then it's a really good song. I think it's a really good song. I like Prodigal Son more than I like this song. Oh really? I like this one quite a bit. It's so funky. Like, it's the piano really and song. bass part is really nice. The, yeah, the piano in this song is killer. Um, so Keith's playing the bass line on this one. Brian's credited with Mellotron again. Although on this one, I really could not hear it, so I don't know. And then Mick's playing his little shakers again. Adorable. I know. Um, the lyrics kind of suck on this song, but... I mean, I think this is going to happen a lot. Just like The Stones returning to an acoustic eight-bar blues song, I feel like on every album The Stones are probably going to have at least one song about just like, oh, isn't she hot and fuck's good? Yeah. So. We call those birds straight cats. PJ, now, I was thinking we could put money down. How much do you think her mother doesn't know that she screams like that? Oh, I'd be willing to put down 20 on that. Uh, I'm not much of a betting man. I'm not yeah. a street fight man. I mean, he says it so often, I just feel like it has to be true. Her mother has no idea how she screams. You know what? I'll take that bet. Yeah? All right. Great. Oh, so you think her mother does know. That's the side you're taking. Oh, her mother knows. Oh, yeah. If we ask her mother knows, she's just such a stray cat, you know? Another Mellotron credited, but to Nicky Hopkins this time, the piano player, so. Also, again, could not really find it in the mix when I listened, but. Yeah, I don't hear it at all. Um, uh, this song's a shrug. I liked it. I mean, it's it's not terrible, but just nothing about it was really doing it for me. It does seem more up your alley. A little bit of Americana sound to it. See, yeah, I'm like, Tiny Americana music than you are. So, like, my favorite, Led Zeppelin is one of my favorite bands of all time. I like their acoustic stuff yeah. the most out of anything they do. Yeah. Whereas, crazy bastards. It's a weird opinion to have. It is. But I like it a lot. See, and I like Led Zeppelin's 80s stuff the most. I have the, the least popular Led Zeppelin, Zeppelin opinion of all time, which is that In Through the Outdoor is maybe their best album. I like Into the Outdoor. Into the Outdoor is fucking incredible, man. It's so goddamn It's a good album. Yeah. But I also like a lot of the songs that nobody apparently likes. Like, apparently nobody likes the song Fool in the Rain, and I think that is an amazing song. Yeah. Yeah. That whole album is amazing. Um, All of My Love is one of the most beautiful songs ever written, man. That thing is wild. And I don't... I don't feel like it sounds like they're like abandoned decline at all honestly no that sounds like top of the yeah yeah i think we've talked about this before privately how 
It's possible. Yeah. I like Coda too, which nobody likes. I actually still I've never really gotten to Coda. I should check it out. Yeah. Um, but see, I really like that this song sounds very like I don't know, like recorded in a field in the right. 50s. Like yep. I really like that song. I mean, it's definitely up. I would say your alley of what you like to listen to way more than mine. So. Yeah. Salt of the earth. Um. So this is Keith's voice as the first like verse here. It's weird because it, it sounds like he's trying to do an impression of Mick Jagger. Maybe he was. Maybe Mick was late, and they're like, "Just, just jump on Mike, Keith. It's fine. We'll get started without him." But a good voice. What's that? I like. I said a good voice. Oh, it's fine. I like that. It's not a good voice. But once again. But it's nice hearing someone else than Mick, like, once in a while. Yeah. Uh, what'd you think of this song? It's fine. It's interesting more as, like, that it's definitely, like, a very new kind of song for the Stones. Like, at the end here, it's going to kick up to having the Watts Gospel Choir and stuff. And, like, it sounds like... It sounds like uh, later Stones, but it's, like... I mean, I don't think this song is very good, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But I think it's interesting because it's pointing towards... Basically, it's pointing towards you can't always get what you want, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah. It's not bad. Like, it's definitely a solid song. It just doesn't do it for me. It's so good. I would look forward to this song on the album. Oh, really? It's coming up. Yeah. It took me a while to even get to this song, honestly. This album was only 40 minutes long, and oh boy, it felt a lot longer. Oh, man. We are. I had trouble on on Baker's Banquet. I think I predicted this last week that we were going to land very far apart on Baker's Banquet. We'll see. Such a good song. <laughs> See, in this song to me, since I was like, I think I've been a bigger fan of Led Zeppelin for longer than I've been a fan of like the Stones. Sure. This song to me is very like tangerine, and I like. Hmm. That. Interesting. Yeah. I've never really thought of connections with Led Zeppelin. That's so good. It's so good. See, and I like that they're using a lot more acoustic guitar on this album, mixed, like, interspersed with yeah. slide guitar and electric guitar. Yeah. Oh, and Char- 
Charlie's killing it on the sound. May I say? Yeah, the drums are good on this song for sure. Charlie Watts might be one of my favorite drummers. It's crazy because he's such like a like a an unshowy drummer, you know. He's so unobtrusive, yeah. but you're right that he's like always very, very good. It's just, yeah. yeah, he's not ever like taking the forefront in a song, kind of. Yeah. It's just fucking nailing it. Every song, like every song, there, or every album at least, I'm like, fuck, that was a good fill. And it like fits their perfect fill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this piano was great. The end of this is right. like interesting, I guess. If we're, if I have to think of more nice things to say. You son of a bitch. This is a good album. Yeah. Do you want to uh, go into your thoughts about it, PJ? I do. So, like I was saying, um, I wish that the uh, A side was different. I, I, this would be a way better album if it was um if the songs were swapped around in a different order yes um that being said i like every song on it except for one which one was that um, remind me dear doctor or parachute woman i think it was parachute woman yeah yeah parachute woman i did not really like it's not a bad song it's just not a very good song but every other song i really really liked on this album yeah um like this is i looked forward to listening to this like after work on my way home you know i'm like fuck yeah beggar's banquet interesting i i really liked it I'm fascinated. but and and like i understand that why we're gonna have different opinions i like more americana kind of music and yeah. you like more like glam rock you know yeah. Um, where I, I also like glam rock and I'm sure you also like some Americana, but like, I think our, like, we, we often don't talk about what other music is our favorite, Mm -hmm. um, outside of either the Beach Boys or Rolling Stones. Um, and so we, we, we do have very different tastes as far as like what we listen to in our free time. Um, what we naturally gravitate towards. Yeah. Um, and I really, really liked this album. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. I'm, I'm so happy that you liked it. And I love, I love the rating. I think we're about to do a reverse beach boys. Yeah. (laughs) Where after like, like the, you're going to continue to love the stones more and more. And I, d- I don't, this might not be true, but I just have this inkling that I might like them less and less. Like, I know we're about to get to what's supposed to be the best albums, but like, if this is the first taste of that, I'm thoroughly unimpressed. So see, I don't know if this is included in that era. I would okay. say it's that... more let it bleed through exile. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd say so. Gotcha. Um, yeah. This but, album, yeah, so good. I really liked it. It was a weird one, kind of, kind of similar to Satanic Majesty's Request, where 
we were talking about the um the oh god damn it what's the fucking word not the noodly bits um because i can't think of the actual term for it um i don't know you you're talking about either you don't know what i mean when i say noodly bits <laughs> like the instrumental fills and yeah stuff? yeah thank you okay um no the uh the improv improvisation parts okay um where like i was trying to like it and just like couldn't connect for whatever reason maybe because it sucked fuck you um no no to satanic majesty's request oh yeah okay yeah no i i felt that way with beggar's banquet but not necessarily because it's i just like didn't i couldn't connect to this album like no matter how much i tried listening to it 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 just just didn't resonate with you I never got through to the other side where, yeah, it felt like it meant something outside of being just some songs. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe part of it is that I couldn't really get over, like, all of this album is supposed to be them, like, return, returning to their roots. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to basics. But aside from the two eight-bar blues songs... I don't think any of this sounds at all like early stones or even like, I think there's a little bit of through lines from aftermath maybe, but even then they were a very different band on aftermath than they are here. This is where I disagree with you. Um, I think I hear a lot of their early stuff in this, but just done better. This is the band. It seems like they wanted to be in 1963, you know, um, can you give me an example? Cause I'm like actually not hearing it. Like, okay. So my example is just like, I think sympathy for the devil does have some connections to under my thumb in terms of like using that kind of rhythm. I'm, I'm not talking about um, that. I'm talking about oh, okay. early stones, early oh, blue stones. So like, um, let's play this. I think um, in the 60s, I, this is still the 60s, in the early 60s when they were making like their first two or three albums, they were doing acoustic guitar with slide yeah, and yeah. you know making it slow, but they weren't necessarily the best players then, and usually it would be a cover that they were trying to yeah. do. So this to me is like them taking that old sound making or and like using the technology of the time and just making it better like because you know how in early songs you could hear like the country twang a little bit this is this is that it's just the country twang has taken over the blues a little bit more i feel like um i i just feel like it it doesn't sound exactly like the early stuff but this is the listening to this album it felt like this is if they had been as talented and like open-minded and better as good of writers as they were as they are now in like 1962 1963 this is the album they would have made i hear you i don't i still don't really think i'm i get that like i think they think that and I, I, I don't, I don't um, think you're wrong. 
I just feel like they are not following. Like, okay, if they're going down, if their like career is this line where 64 is this straight line through the like blues and R and B covers. And then like they take a jog off of it on satisfaction to like getting to pop rock. And then they jog even further off for like art rock. And then they jog even further off for some psychedelic rock. And then they want to go back to the original, but I think they're like at a different place. I where think... they've actually started a, another new sound. It's maybe more influenced by the same things they were influenced by originally. But to me, this they so still get... pushed through to a different version of the Stones. Right. I, I think it is... Certainly, this is a different version of the Stones in the early stuff. I would agree with that. I, but it's like you're saying, you can hear the influence in there. So, like, um, yeah, Factory Girl. It sounds like really early Muddy Waters before he was playing electric. Yeah, like, um, I don't. You can hear the influence. I guess is kind of what I was trying to say, and you said it a lot yeah. better. Uh, I do not think it sounds like their early stuff, but I can like hear yeah. the 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 correlation between the two. You know what's really weird to me and is just occurring to me is that like this just straight up doesn't sound I mean maybe purposefully, but in a way that is so jarring to me that I think maybe it's why I had trouble with this album. It just doesn't even sound like it's the same band as we've as been Satanic. listening to for like the last three years. Like they um, are so different yeah. and like I I get that it's the same band, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's like too much of a left turn for me for some reason because it felt like they were naturally progressing in a way that was trackable and now they're like restarting That's and it's it, just thrown me off. See, well, because you had that quote last week where you were talking about how, like, Mick and Keith fucking hate Satanic Majesty's request, right? Right. So I think it's just like, I don't know. To, to, to me, it makes sense that they want to do a hard reset and, like, yeah. get back into what they really like. I do agree it is a very jarring change from Satanic Majesty's request to Baker's Banquet, but I think it would be less of one from, like, let's say, 12 by 5 to this one or Aftermath to this one. I think they just had Flowers yeah. and Satanic Majesties, which do sound a lot different, um, yeah. and it, it, it is a jarring change. But I do think listen listen to their early stuff and then listen to this one, and it makes more sense. Yeah. It's weird. Like, it's both... I think you're right. It's like this weird thing where there's either too many albums in between this one and an earlier one, or it's like they skipped a bunch of albums to then just jump to this all of a sudden. You know... You know that... Uh, are you familiar with the Birthday Boys? I am familiar with the Birthday Boys. There's the a Birthday Boys... Group. The Birthday Boys episode where they um, are like this band that everybody loves, and then they go out into the the uh, uh, to like write an album in a cabin, 
And then it's like, ooh, 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 we're having a good time. And then they go out into the freezing cold uh, because everybody hated that one. And then they Mm -hmm. write a really beautiful song that sounds like their old stuff. That's what it seems like to me is like they had a weird middle period where everybody was like, fuck this. Yeah. Yes. I connected with that middle period. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's because you're a psychopath. I'll just say, yes. I'm also now trying to think of another band that like so radically changed their sound so much. Like, cause the stones went from the blues rock thing to then just like straight up pop rock on like out of our heads. Um, and then went to like British art rock on aftermath and then went like full psychedelic. And then now are like back to like country blues acoustics it just feels you're thinking not, of a band that's changed their sound radically and then tried to go back to uh, the beach boys the beach boys did so no but the beach and boys, then they did good music and then they did really really shitty art rock and psychedelic music and then they went back to fucking surf rock music with kokomo dude but the beach boys i know but the beach boys but the beach boys were doing like the same types of songs with different production values, I would say, and like instrumentation. Like I would say the Beach Boys songwriting style generally stayed the same the entire time. And well, with with, with the exception of feel the like shitty album their Satanic Majesty's Request. Yeah. If you don't think about Satanic Majesty's Request, it's fine. Even Flowers you can throw in there. Satanic Majesty's Request is just such a weird thing i think i would have to throw between the buttons and in there too because between the buttons is like there's no blues on it there's no like country twang it's all like art psychedelic rock okay but you could throw like you don't really like ruby tuesday but you could throw that on like the album ruby tuesday is just like generic 60s pop I think so it's that good. doesn't sound anything like the new stones. Stuff. What are you what are you giving this album, Peter? I know. Uh I'm giving it a four out of ten. What the it's fine. fuck? It's fine. No, it's a good album. It's nothing special. It's really good. I mean, I may be like dragged kicking and screaming into this era of the Rolling Stones because I really liked the last three years of music from them, but um we'll see. Yes. We'll see how Let It Bleed goes. I just can't see how you can like Satanic Majesty's Request and give it a seven, and then you're like, this one's a four. You can go fuck yourself, Peter. It's just not that great. I don't know what to say. (laughs) I've tried explaining it, and I'm doing a bad job. You are, because you're wrong, and you know it, and you just want to be contrary. I'm sure. I'm, (laughs) I'm not, man. I... I was talking about this this week with my fiance. I am at a point where I'm like, I want to be loving the Rolling Stones and it just still hasn't happened. And now I'm like annoyed that it hasn't because we're in 1968 on like their 15th album. And I still don't feel more strongly about them than like, yeah, they have some good stuff. This was a good album and you're wrong. Um, I thought it would be a fun idea if we 
if you had your fiance on and my girlfriend was on as guests yeah. and they talked about their opinion and they would just be like, I don't know. It's fine. I don't know. Oh, uh, my fiance's came up this week. It's when I was talking about how I didn't like them yet. I think unprompted. I mean, it was prompted because we were listening to them. But aside from that unprompted, she just went, I don't like the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm having trouble with this album, too. I don't love it. And then, yeah, let this into is a good one. This is a good album. But anyway. This has been the Rolling Stones. This stone, you know what? No matter how I feel about it, it's just going to keep rolling, PJ. Can't stop it. Go to hell. What? I told you to go to hell. I'll see you on the other side of that wave, PJ. <laughs> okay. Boys Boys Production. Uh, this one was a weird one to record uh, for me because I, for some reason, my headphones, uh, when you're on a Mac and you're FaceTiming, all of the other stuff, it, it like makes your, it makes FaceTime a priority. So like my monitor on on um on my recording one is like really quiet compared to like yours so it's just really fucking bizarre cuz i could barely hear the music <laughs>